A quick message before we get into this week's episode. For longtime listeners of the show, you know that I have been very reluctant to add sponsors and to add recommendations to our podcast. Our priority is to you, to the writers and to the creators. And so we've held off to make sure that we can find partnerships that we feel good about and products that I can honestly recommend. And that's why I'm so excited to recommend this week's sponsor to you. Quillbot.com, Q-U-I-L-L-B-O-T.com. This is a tool that I am personally using to build a newsletter that I haven't announced yet, but it's it's been hugely beneficial for me. So Quillbot is a paraphrasing tool. And the way that I'm using it is I'm scrubbing long form articles that are very, very in-depth with information that I know my audience will really value and appreciate. And I copy that content and I paste it into Quillbot. And Quillbot paraphrases all of the text into a couple sentences, sometimes a couple paragraphs to really shorten and pack in the information, which allows me to better piece this information into a curated newsletter that I am sending out weekly. For people that listen, you know that I really, really believe in the newsletter space. We believe that newsletters are great businesses to start and and you should start one. If you want to get involved in online media and start creating a business for yourself, a newsletter is a great place to start. And this tool, Quillbot, has been so beneficial for me in building this curated newsletter that I'm working on. It makes it so that I can jam pack a lot of information into not a lot of space. And it really, really has helped me format my newsletter and provide the information to my readers in a way that I know they enjoy, in a way that I know they can quickly digest, in a way that I feel really proud about. So once again, check out this week's sponsor, quillbot.com, Q-U-I-L-L-B-O-T.com. It's easy to sign up and tell them that Tim sent you. All right, let's get on to the show. All right, we're live. Yannick, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really pumped about this conversation. Well, thanks for having me, man. Thanks for pronouncing my name like very accurately. <laughs> it's funny that you say that. I don't do a whole lot of prep work for my podcasts, but my last name is Stoddard and my whole life everybody says stuttered. And I think about it, I'm like, how the hell did you come up with stuttered by looking at my last name? And it always bugged the shit out of me. And so uh like the only prep work I do to make sure that like the only prep work I do is I look at other podcasts that my guests have been on and make sure absolutely I know how to pronounce their name. So Yannick, you are very welcome. And thank you for noticing. It's awesome. Now, most most Americans like pronounce my name as Yannick because Yannick. Nick is like very familiar name in America, but yeah, it's a French name. So thanks for pronouncing yeah. it right. My pleasure. Well, uh, let's jump right into it. You are the co-founder of Hype Fury. I'm going to take a second to to hype you up, no pun intended, because I I don't buy a whole lot of SaaS products. In my view, like WordPress and ConvertKit is kind of all you need. Um, and I've built all of my companies through WordPress and ConvertKit. But Hype Fury is without a doubt the third leg to that 
stool, so to speak. I never appreciated social media just because of all the time it takes to log into stuff and write stuff and then come back eight or 10 times a day. And, and Hype Fury totally solved all of that for me. And it's, it's added like a ton of value to my life, man. My Twitter and my LinkedIn accounts are really big parts of, of my companies. So not really starting off with a question. I just wanted to say like, thank you, man, because I really, really do appreciate it. Hype Fury is, is the best. And that's why I was so pumped when you said that you would come on my podcast. Cool. It's, it's awesome to hear. And it's also how we want to position ourselves. You know, we take care of your audience growth and we help you uh, gain newsletter subscribers and, you know, build a business around your audience. So exactly how you should use us. That's great. So I'm doing it right. You're saying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, my first question, I am really fascinated with the concept of doing it in the first place. And and this is going to sound like a funny question, but I really mean it. Your space, it's not like it was wide open. You know, you dove into a market that has, I mean, there's Hootsuite, there's 10 other SaaS companies that have come and gone over the last 10 years that are all about social media scheduling and, and social media automation. So like, you know, with respect, it, it was kind of dumb you know like i would never jump into that landscape so what did you see that you thought no like you know what we can do this there's an opening here yeah there were big incumbents uh, in the space definitely like and i i didn't um start high fury like i um hooked up with the guy who created it sammy which was like about four years ago a little a little bit more and basically, it was in all these paid communities. He was into like fitness and coaching. And all those guys were also on Twitter. And he asked like the simple question like, hey, can you actually schedule threads with any tool? And there were none, like literally none. Like yeah. Buffer that was around for ages, you couldn't schedule a thread. And so that was his aha moment really where he thought, well, I'm just going to create a, an, an app where you can schedule a thread on Twitter. Um, built that in three, four days you know, showed it to the community he was in. They were all like ecstatic and then started his own private beta. I think he invited about 50 people um, and just started listening to his users, you know, what do you want me to build next? And, and that's what he did. He, you know, um, opened the Stripe account early on. So, you know, he could really validate if uh, iFury was something people would pay for. And a couple months in, he uh, sent me like, Put a message on the any hackers forum saying hey you know i'm a developer but i don't know a lot about marketing i need a marketing co-founder and that's actually how we met and so yeah i uh you know left him a message we started calling i flew to paris to meet him stay there for the weekend and then you know i showed him for like two months that i wasn't just all talk but i could also like do a bit of marketing i grew up fury and we ended up co-founding it together that's that's basically like this the start of it so cool. I love to hear stories where a lot of people on the outside, I assume they think, oh, I have this perfect idea and I need to just execute on this like grand vision that I have. In my experience, it's never been that way. It was like, aha, uh -huh, I wonder if this works. So to recap a little bit what you're saying, you needed a, a thread scheduler, basically. And through that one idea, through that beta, you were able to build on that and build on that with different functionality and, and different concepts and different, uh, um, I guess, just product developments. And yep. so that one little tiny idea 
kept compounding onto more and more ideas and brought you to where you are here. Yeah, yeah. It was it was like a, you know, a tiny thing to many people. Like you know, scheduling. Said most people didn't even schedule their tweets back then. So, and but it was like a big thing for like a tiny audience. And from those fifty people, you know, they just kept talking about it. Sammy kept listening to what they wanted, and from a tiny product became like an entire Raider suite, if you want to call it that way. And yeah. so we're now solving a lot more problems than just that little thing. What else are you guys working on? Well, you know, um, Twitter has changed quite a bit over the last <laughs> yeah. six months. That's another yeah. statement. And so, you know, we've had to kill some things. You know, we've ha- uh, you know, we had some pretty angry customers because we had to change a bunch of stuff uh, because of rate limits and and like uh, API endpoints that just vanished that were no longer accessible. So uh, we have a bit of work to do on on the backend still, but we're, you know, right now, like you can automate a lot of things. So we do three things really well, I think, uh, before you post. So giving people inspiration, you know, what do I talk about? You can view other people's viral posts. You can have templates. You can have all these things that will help you in in the writing process. Then like the vanilla, vanilla scheduler that a lot of other businesses do. And then I think the, the, the part where that really sets us apart is the automation, not just, you know, if you have 10 likes on your post, we'll automatically repost your tweet or we'll add a comment to it, stuff like that. But, uh, what people really use this for is also like, I have a tweet or I have a thread and with one click, you can have a carousel on LinkedIn and with one click, you can have a post on Instagram and we're doubling down on those types of, you know, automations that you can, okay. My primary uh, channel is Twitter, but I also want to be on um, on TikTok or on, I don't know, uh, Instagram. And somebody else's primary uh, channel might be LinkedIn. So from LinkedIn, I want to post my stuff to Twitter and to wherever. And so we're now building all these like, you know, crossroads, if you must, oh. um, that allow you to easily post things you have on one channel to all these different channels. That's what we're doubling down on. I think that's really smart because I'm a perfect use case for that. I'm a writer and the only platform that I actually publish on is Twitter via Hype Fury. And then there's the whole repurposing um, trend going on right now, which has been around forever. It's not like this is anything new, but you guys make it very easy where it's almost like Twitter is kind of the, the the linchpin in the wheel where I can come up with my ideas and I can put them there. And then through that, I can customize the content so that it fits, let's call it the culture of these different platforms, you know, so that those screenshots work really well on Instagram so that those same screenshots get turned into carousels on LinkedIn, which is pretty popular these days, um, or they just get published via text on LinkedIn. So what you're telling me is you see that as well and that's what you're trying to expand upon. Yep, yep, definitely. You know, you see all these uh, video platforms hopping up right now, you know, from, totally. from YouTube to TikTok to Reels to whatever. And that's also something we're going to add. You know, right now, if you have like a, a portrait video, you can already like cross post it to, to Reels. And so we're adding a lot more of those, you know, cross posting features. Yeah, really cool. Okay, I want to talk about 
in my view, for me personally, what I felt like Hype Fury really nailed. And I'll just lay them out to you and, and I want your thoughts on them. I love the fact that all I have to do is hit enter. And then it schedules and it schedules at the perfect time. And I know it's such a subtle thing, but I really hate coming up with social media content. I'm not saying that to be like negative. I'm just saying I feel like out of all the things I could be doing with my life, it is the last thing I want to do. And so I can spend an hour each week, usually less, write down some ideas, type it out, enter. Boom. I never have to schedule it. I don't have to pick the time for it. I don't even have to touch my mouse. And, yep. you know, we're talking like nitpicky now, but it really just does help me get into the flow of of getting my ideas out there and then letting you guys cross promote it for me. So there's that. Yep. And then I think you're totally accurate where other scheduling platforms in the past were scheduling for the sake of growing social media, where you guys knew that the reason why people use social media is to grow their newsletters. And I'm like such a perfect example of that. And so, you know, you talked about a bunch of features that you add, but in my view, like the real subtleties that make it perfect for me and why I always recommend it is those two things. It's like the really quick rapid fire hit enter. And then the fact that you can automatically post your, your newsletter sign up at like the bottom of a thread or or the the comment of a tweet or whatever to show your newsletter. So, So, was that like intentional or did you just discover that that's what people wanted? Yeah, it, it, it was intentional in the sense that that was like one of the first features we built, I think. Like um, in those communities Sammy was in, they all had their newsletter already. They were all promoting their paid products or coaching uh, programs already. So it was a big thing for them. They were selling through their newsletter. So we knew we had to you know, add something like that. And, and to your first point, like just press enter like I love the quote from from uh, Elon Musk where he says user input is error. And so what we try to do but you know we have to do that even a lot more but like things we can automate we should. Like it's so repetitive to do I don't know to click on a a, a slot you want to uh, fill then fill it and then go to the next slot and all these tiny little things we can do that for you. And I think will be an even better product in, in 12 months time because that's one of the main things we're focusing on like okay what can we analyze what can we fill in okay we've seen that you have a url in your bio let's just create an auto plug for you if you haven't created one yet we'll just fill it with one of the top 10 percent best plugs um and we'll just offer it to you you want to set this yes done boom and and all these small little things they add to you know us having a, having a great product User input is error. So basically, like people are always making mistakes, and the less you can get people to do, the less they're going to screw things up. Yeah. Also, that, but also, like, if there's anything we can take away from you in, in a good way, as in something you don't have to do because we can do it for you, I think that's way better than, you know, uh, you having to select a slot or having to do all these, you know, cumbersome things while you only have to press enter and we'll do all the rest. Yeah. Okay. So I, I just want to focus on this thing real quick and it's kind of semantics here, but it's not saying that the user is creating the error. It's no. that having like from the development side without 
when you're developing the product, allowing for the user to do something is like an error on your on your side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what can we do for the user that he or she doesn't have to do himself? You know, it's it's that simple. Yeah. What what can we automate? What can we just have ready for you as a user instead of you having to go and and do it and set it up or whatever? Yeah, very cool. Okay, let me transition. There's two other topics I want to hit on. One of them is just the marketing of Hype Fury because you guys have really, really excelled at that. And I want to pick your brain a bit there. But I, I also want to just get behind the scenes a bit about how much of a shit show it must have been the last six <laughs> months to a year with, with all of these changes. So when you saw that Elon Musk killed the API, what was it like for you guys? Were you freaking out? Were you panicking? Were you cool and collective? I mean, that must have been nuts. Yeah, it, it was nuts. So um, there, there were, I think Twitter announced something January or February that there were going to be changes made to the API landscape. And then we were like, well, you know, we might have to pay 100 or, or 2,000 or maybe even five, but like, you know, that that's fine. And then everything will be as it was. But then we started hearing rumors in the market, like we were always in contact with other, you know, indie hackers that were creating social apps. And from one of, one of those people, he, um, he was actually already talking to Twitter about their new API plans. And um, like, there was really only one plan that was going to be there was the enterprise plan. Well, if you know enterprise, that sounds expensive and it is expensive. <laughs> so we, we literally had no choice. Uh, it was, you know, pay zero, but also have like, you know, we, we couldn't do anything anymore on, on, yeah. on the free plan or pay $42,000 a month and get in like a lot of access. Uh, but there was, was no in between. And when we first heard that, and then, you know, we got, we got scared as in, damn, we need to act on this. Like, um, this is serious. We know how Elon, you know, goes, acts, he just does things and, you know, we shouldn't wait, we should act right now. And so when that became clear, we literally we reached out to Twitter. We wanted to, you know, get on board with the enterprise plans as fast as possible because we just know there's going to be a, a, a time and if you're not an enterprise plan, you're going to be screwed. And so we reached out and also on that call, they literally said, well, we have that $0 plan and we have the $100 plan, which was still useless for uh, a company our size. And we have the $42,000 plan. And, and and that's it. And we said immediately said, well, okay, you know, there's no negotiations here anyway. Let's do it. And, and the funny thing was, so we were like uh, in the process of becoming an enterprise customer, but we were one of the few. And you actually mentioned that on the call. And we were like, what do you mean one of the few? Like, we had we had so many competitors back then. We we didn't know their revenue, but we also thought you know there must be some more uh, companies that, that are onboarding on enterprise. But you know you you could see like when when the hammer came down and the API like the free access ended, you could see one after the other app which is failing literally, and there was quite a quite a quite a quite a big circus on Twitter about that. And then on top of it, we were like so we knew the forty thousand dollar a month plan was coming. We also knew that a lot of those uh, apps 
in that space, they just wouldn't survive. So we we reached out to like Tony from Blackmagic, Luca from Hivu and Inbox, and and some other people, and we were just you know beginning talks and seeing, hey, what 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 do you have planned? Because you know after you know that was like probably two weeks before the hammer went down, we were in talks with Tony to acquire Blackmagic, and he knew like you know he wasn't doing 42k a month, so he knew he ha- he had to sell or just shut down. And so, yeah, it was a good time for us as a buyer. It was like a not, not so good time for Tony to sell, but like at least we could still offer him a decent deal that, that all the customers could, you know, keep using their product. And it was a good thing for us because we could compensate like the 42K we're paying with a couple of acquisitions. So, did, so we did. So it was a very tough time. We had to, you know, work hard. There were like a lot of mistakes made by Twitter, you know, that, that, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we, we yeah, we weren't very happy that period. Our customers weren't very happy. It was very hectic, but yeah, we're we're now like in 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 better better times. Well, okay, so you just have to pay the API fee. Basically, there's no way around it. Yeah, yeah, you just pay like a, a house yeah. a year almost. Yeah, oh. yeah, it's a, it's a half a million dollars a year. Um, what I'm hearing, though, and I'm not going to ask you to give me too many behind-the-scenes details if you'd want to, but did this actually end up benefiting you guys a little bit? I, I well, I would say yes. Um, like the 40k a month, that's like that's serious money. You know, that's yeah. like our gross margin has, of course, dropped. Um, but like we've added quite a bit of MRR thanks to those acquisitions. So like big part of the 42k is already like compensated with acquisitions but the the bigger thing was probably that a lot of small tools also small competitors they just went out of business you know there were competitors that were just selling lifetime uh deals yeah you know we couldn't compete with them price wise that's also not what we were trying to do but yeah once the hammer went down we, we could see a lot of people uh coming our way and saying hey do you also offer lifetime deals well I'm sorry we don't because we want to stay above the 42k a month MLR. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so definitely uh, um, it also benefited us. And I think like because we were one of the first, we also we we didn't have any issues with with Twitter and and uh you know being banned and stuff like that. So I I think people also saw that that hey, iPury, you know, they have their stuff under control. My yeah. my account is safe with them. Um you felt that way. I mean, for what it's worth, you guys sent honest, raw emails about this is what's happening. This is what we're working on. As soon as we know more, we'll let you know. Um, I thought it was actually kind of a, a I, I remember it well because it, I, I paid attention to it because I thought it was a good use case of just the value of authentic honesty and not like people that are inauthentic aren't honest, you know, but it made me yep. feel like there's people behind the brand that are doing actual things as opposed to, you know, like a PR firm just <laughs> keeping me on the on the hook for a while. So yep. so kudos yep. to you with that. Uh, I have another sort of technical question, um, and I think this will apply to other product builders. So when you acquire a company, is your goal to add the core functionality to the company to hype fury and if you do does that mean that that company is kind of underneath that api fee or do you have to pay a whole nother api fee on top of that with every company that you bring in 
Yeah, so that was actually a big thing for us. Um, when we started talks with uh, Blackmagic, we also informed uh, Twitter that, hey, we were going to acquire, at least that was, you know, that was the plan. And uh, we said that to Twitter, so they could also be like under our enterprise umbrella. So we could still use them while we were in talks and closing the deal and stuff like that. Um, but we heard from Twitter that Blackmagic was in the top 4% of API usage. And so, you know, it was, you know, I don't know, Microsoft, Google, uh, Blackmagic. I don't know. I'm, I'm joking. But like they were, they were doing 350 million calls a month. And like the enterprise wow. plan is at 50 million calls. We were doing like also tens of millions. Like we were also doing too many calls, but Blackmagic was just off the scale big. And so our deal was actually escalated to like Elon level <laughs> because <laughs> they, they were thinking like Blackmagic, this must be a huge business. They, they must be, I don't know, but they were, they were wrong as in, you know, it was like a very small business compared to all the others. Um, so that actually was a, was a, was a big issue for us. So we had to get the calls down, um, and we're all now yeah. using the same plan. So all, all the tools we acquired, we're using the same plan and we're, we're still, and we're probably for a long, long time to come, we'll, we'll use Blackmagic as a brand and Hive when inbox, which are like smaller brands, we'll probably integrate them sooner into like our main app. It's a funny thing where media people always want to be product developers, you know, and product developers always want to be media guys. And so I've, yep. I've, I've dabbled in it. I, I find it much easier just to invest in products than try to find a developer and build them. I'm, I'm old for like 30 now. <laughs> it's, you know, I'm two it's a good two. tactic. I've, I've done it <laughs> a lot as well. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, it's, you gotta, you gotta stay in your lane and I think I've just gotten older and yeah. I've lost too much money to oh, you just learn your lessons you know? <laughs> definitely definitely i was freelancing for for a long long time and like 25 to 50 percent of my revenue i put that into projects i bought websites just like you you did maybe at a smaller scale but yeah i, I knew like i i'm not gonna build things from scratch it, it has existing revenue let's just buy this and you know add that as a passive income source no. yeah i agree and so i'm always fascinated with the, because product development seems so straightforward on the outside. You know, you just build a thing and then you sell as many as possible. But there's the, with databases and I mean, you guys are probably on a much bigger database, but you know, the stuff I learned about Superbase and Vercel, there's so many more intricate details that I didn't even know existed. And so once I started learning that stuff, one, I'm like fascinated with those stories, which is why I ask those questions. But two, it's like, yeah, I do not want to do that. Like I have a hard enough time keeping track of keywords and yeah. I don't need to learn API calls. <laughs> it's very complex. Like we were, I think we were spending one or 2K a month on some kind of Google database. And now yeah. we, you know, switched to Elasticsearch and we're paying, I don't know, 50 or hundred bucks a month. Like for the same thing, it's even faster. So like, yeah, don't get me started. Like I'm also, I'm not a developer, so I don't know the ins and outs, but I do know like it's a vast landscape and, uh, so much choice totally well okay so then let's get into the fun stuff what's been the biggest channel for you in terms of of client acquisition i have a feeling although i might be wrong that word of mouth 
has been really, really effective for you guys. Did you, yep. there's people I, I find that feel like they have a grasp on how to intentionally grow word of mouth. And I'm sure there are strategies there. I don't know them. Um, in my view, it's better just to build the best product possible and, and let it take control. But so has it been word of mouth? Have you been intentional about word of mouth or has it been media, marketing, ads, SEO, and that as of the likes? Yeah, so word of mouth is definitely a big thing for us. Um, and like we, we, we try to like keep our ears open because like uh, people are constantly in our field, like creating new courses about growing an audience or newsletter or product, whatever. And so we all always try to, you know, be top of mind and be open to, you know, collapse. Um, that's also how I came into contact with Justin Welsh. I did one of, I, I went on one of his, don't know what it was called, but he did like a, uh, like a, a LinkedIn, um, uh, masterclass, something like that was on mm-hmm. there. And after that, you know, we, we connected, had him on the podcast. Same like with Matt Matt Gray and Kieran Drew and Alex Mathers and all these people. They, yeah, I just try and you know be in contact with them. I I I'm I'm not so big in building an audience anymore, like my personal audience. I'm way more like reaching out to people, finding out what they're up to, if I can help, how I can help. Um, so that that was and is a big part of our growth. Um, I would say in the beginning of our journey. Um, like having an affiliate program really helped. It's like, it was just me and Sammy. And our first hire was somebody who, who would do uh, customer support questions because, you know, uh, that was just a lot of work and we felt that we could do other things. Um, and so when you start an affiliate program, like you immediately you outsource marketing. You have like a marketing yeah. agency that works basically for free and you pay them a commission when they, you know, do a good job. That's been a big thing. And then Twitter in general, you know, a lot of people talk about us on on, on Twitter. And and lastly, SEO. Like my background is more like digital marketing. I had like 600 followers when I started with uh, with Hype Fury. So I, I, I had no idea how Twitter worked. I hired a guy to help me get started and explain a little bit about how it works. Um, but like w- what I really know well is like, or the, like the, the basic digital marketing like SEO, PPC, we don't like we do hardly any do uh, we hardly do any PPC, but like SEO and um, constantly A B testing our website, improving it, that's that's been really helpful. Glad that you brought up affiliate marketing. I'm like kind of selfish on my podcast. I generally ask questions that I want to know and um I don't know, it's worked for me. But I think affiliate marketing has probably been the the biggest missed opportunity that I've had because I've talked to a couple of people. Like I remember talking to Rand a while ago and he said that his affiliate marketing program for Moz was like such a shit show and it caused him so many problems. But the more I learned about the behind the scenes there, I think it was more like a logistical thing as opposed to it being like an applicable marketing strategy or not. And so this is an open-ended question. I'm I'm, I'm almost looking for, for guidance here. Is it just a matter of talking to as many people as possible and saying like, hey, promote my product, here's your affiliate code, or do your reps, let's call them, get value out of having 
maybe like a backend dashboard? Like, do you provide them marketing materials to say like, hey, you can use this? Like, give me a baseline on where I could get started with that. Because I'm, I'm doing this right now, by the way, for the academy. Like, this is top of mind. So I'm curious. Okay. So we started really simple. We just, you know, subscribed to firstpromoter.com. I, I'm not affiliate. I'm not affiliated with them. I just love their product. Um, it's hundred bucks a month, and you know, we started emailing people um, when they became customer. Like, hey, great that you joined. That you're paying for Ipsury. Thank you. If you want to tell other people about us and make some money, try our affiliate program. Um, we didn't have like any marketing material back then. It was just like, hey, here it is. You'll, you get a recurring commission. Enjoy. Um, but we already saw that people were using it. We were seeing YouTube videos, articles, like all these things like popping, popping out. Um, so we knew it was working. Next step was what we did was we have an app. A lot of people log into that every day and we just add add a small button in the app says, Hey, join the affiliate program. And that increased our sign rate by, I don't know, 300% or 600. It wasn't like an insane amount of people started using it so everybody who went through the trial saw that button and could subscribe to the affiliate program one click bomb you have a login here's your referral uh, code let's go um that was a big step and next what we did was now we have assets like things people can uh, share an email or on twitter we have um a brand book we have like uh, videos that explain like we have like an entire ecosystem just for affiliates but we started really slow with hardly anything like we had a couple of onboarding videos for your affiliate program show people what, what others did that made them successful but that was it was very basic in the beginning and now like, like after all these years we've built like quite extensive program yeah so start small i mean of course that's the answer like yep. start small yep. and then build as you go right yep. i thought there was going to be some kind of uh shortcut that i <laughs> i could use not really not really but like, uh, like some people, they don't care about like sharing an affiliate code. They just like talking about us because we have a cool program yeah. uh, um, app. And so it's it's also like getting a feel of like we, we've spoken to many people that, that just said, hey, I'll share you. I don't care about the affiliate program or about the commission. Other people said, hey, I'm definitely going to share you you uh, the link a lot more if I get a higher um commission level or if i get a special discount code or stuff like that so uh, we always try to tailor you know our offer to what people want and then there's 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 like there's a dark side to affiliate marketing which is like and now we've seen that like really increase a lot is people are abusing uh ppc advertising and our brand name and so like over the last few weeks i think i killed a about half a dozen people that were really abusing our brand name and just advertising worldwide on Google. People, you know, doing a brand search, which is basically like it's 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 low key traffic. They know people are going to convert. They click the ad with the affiliate link attached, and we yeah, like it was doing I don't know ten twenty percent of our total volume, which is people who were you know doing something we we don't approve, and yeah, we were quick to remove them. But you do have to check, of course. Luckily, you have like. 30, a 30 or 60 day window to check, go through and, and you need a couple of tools to, to do that. But yeah, other than that, I really haven't had a lot of problems with uh, affiliate marketing. Uh, that's good to hear. Like I said, this is top of mind and that does suck. Um, 
I've worked in the behavioral healthcare space for a long time, and I can't tell you, it's almost one of the guarantees where if we have a client and we build the brand up, there'll be like a lead gen company that just generates clicks on the brand name. And so, you know, somebody searches for the brand, you got the ad at the top, and then the organic brand name that usually goes to the homepage right underneath it. And like you can you got to do something about it. Right. But then sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm spending so much time trying not to let something happen where I could be spending that time doing something. So yeah. I'm just relating to you on that one. Like I've, I've dealt with that a million times that that really sucks. Pain yeah. in the ass. But at the same time, it's like, well, I guess I can't knock it. Right. <laughs> like you're, you're trying yeah. to do your thing. I mean, I've never done it. I think it's pretty distasteful, but, uh, but nonetheless, That's it's funny. a pain in the ass. Now, you can do two things, I think, to easily identify them. One is just quickly scroll to reports. Like, I usually do it once a yep. week. So I do, like, last seven days, and you can quickly see, like, people that are jumping out that have hundreds of clicks, you know, check them out. And then the other way you can do it is I use Google Search Console, and then I filter by country on our brand name, and then I can I check uh, CTR yeah. for our brand name. And so normally it's, I don't know, anywhere between 60 and 80%. So if I see a big drop... I noticed somebody's hijacking uh, our our uh, you know brand name with PPC ads. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's let's finish thing up. Start finishing this up with a little bit of. Um, I want to know where you guys are going, and I always avoid these questions because they're so loaded. But there's so many avenues that you guys can take right now. And I imagine you're having a lot of whiteboard meetings about like, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. And and sometimes I feel like the, I call it the burden of choice, right? Like, what do you do when you can do anything? And the best products, it's very rare that enterprise products become like the best at everything, right? In almost every case, the successful ones just nail one particular thing. So what is what is that like for you guys? Because you, you really are in like the central point of this huge expanding market, which, I mean, there's no reason to think it's not going to continue expanding for the next 10 or 20 years or, I don't know, forever. How are you dealing with all that? Like, where are you focusing your time right now? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, one thing we've had a lot of talks on what is AI. Like, everybody's doing something with AI. Like, we have, like, our tool as just a tiny little bit of AI. And and we think it's mostly for beginning creators, like, hey, select a yeah. couple of your tweets that have done well in the past. We'll create like better versions of those tweets. You can quickly schedule them, done. Um, other tools, they have like very sophisticated, okay, like make this shorter, make this longer, make this more blah, I don't know, like all these. And I, I then think about Elon again, who says that the user input is error. And I think, do we really, really want to do this? Click a button and see, is this better? Is this better? No, it's shit. It's shit. Like, everybody uses ChatGPT. Everybody knows that it's based on that. And then, so we have our own, like, philosophy on it. And we're probably going to do something with AI in the near future, but it's going to be, you know, a lot different than what's out there. Because, you know... We see our customers literally also use ChatGPT. They have their own API key or whatever. They can just, you know, they have their prompts, everything. We, we can't really improve that. So we're going to do something else. I can't can't say a lot about that, but we're going to do it differently. The other thing, and we, we spoke about that in, in the beginning is, like, 
everybody has a primary channel and we're a big believer in, you know, if you only have to do it once, you know, then we should be able to, you know, fill that sure. gap. We should be able to help people to, you know, be active on as many platforms as they want. And so we're really doubling down on that. Like we have a, like now it's a little bit, a little bit everywhere in our app. Like it, it isn't really clear that if you upload a uh, portrait video that you can actually like upload to Instagram. What we're building like as we speak is is like more of a cockpit that, that shows you like, hey, yesterday you had this tweet, it did well. Would you want to cross post this to Instagram? One click, bam. Nice. And we're going to do a lot more of those types of things. Uh, I'm, I'm also a big believer in... The app is the plan. So a lot of people, they log in, I'm sure for the first time and they see this and they think, what the F do I do here? And we're gonna, you know, literally for, you know, if you have 10,000 or 30,000 followers, we're, we're not gonna do that. But like 80% of people have like below two or 5,000 followers. I don't know the exact number anymore, but a lot of people, they just need a lot more handholding. And we're gonna show them like, hey, you tweeted this yesterday, you can do now, you can now do this with that, or you can post it to that, or you can, you know, create all these variations. Or hey, uh, this person replied to you, or hey, why don't you reply to this person? Because in, he's in the same circle as people you're already following. Uh, he has a lot of followers, you know. We're of course not gonna display all that info, but like that's the, the behind the scenes stuff we're gonna do to make it easier for people to grow their account. Just yeah, have them more of a cockpit feel. Have them give them prompts like, "Hey, this is something you can do. That is something you can do." And we're literally what we're doing right now is analyzing like, okay, how many times a day do you need to comment? Like everybody's saying, I don't know, five or ten or fifty or whatever. We want to know and we want to tell people. We want to say, hey, if you're in this range between, I don't know, 100 and 200 followers, you should you should do this, and we'll have like more of a you know, a little bit of a gamification, like, hey, you still need to try try and reply to three more people today, or you still need to, you know, create one, two, three more tweets today. That's that's something we're, we're doubling down on. Love that. The app is the plan. And I really mean this because <clears throat> I was surprised to discover that growing an audience on, for me, specifically on Twitter and LinkedIn really was a skill. <laughs> like, yeah, wow. It is. Um, there's a way to do it right. There's a way to get better at it. And starting off is hard, man. I mean, it's hard. And that's why when I get these DMs from people that have like 100 followers and stuff like that, I, I, I respond to them. And if someone's trying to start a podcast, like I always go on a, on a podcast, regardless of cool. if it's an audience or not, because I just, I remember that, you know, having yeah. like 200 followers and being like, Oh, I, it yeah. was Scott Galloway of all people. Yeah. I don't know if you were, cool. if you know Scott Galloway, but yeah. he uh, was doing like a Q and a podcast where he talked about Twitter and he said it was one year where I just decided I'm going to get a hundred thousand Twitter followers. And I was just a professor at NYU that year. Like, why would anybody listen to me? And it really was one of those things. I was mowing my lawn of all places. And when I lived in Nashville and I heard it, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like I'm going to get a hundred thousand Twitter followers. I had like 200 then. Um, and so, yes, I'm, I'm relating to you a little bit, but I think, I think that's very smart to know how intimidating it can be to see, you know, people just so effortlessly create stuff that generates so much attention to them and, and builds their, their businesses or their, their brands or whatever. And think like, how on earth do I get there? 
And there really is a roadmap that, as in many things in life, you only learn by figuring it out. And if you guys can, it's almost like learn from my mistakes so you don't have to learn from your own. If you could present those mistakes to your new users so they don't have to fall on their face over and over again. I think that's really smart, man. I do. Yeah, we have all the data of thousands of people. We see who's effective, who's not, what they're they doing, you know, what's not working. Yeah, and, and we're going to include that in the app and just have people follow the plan. Very cool. I love it. All right. Uh, final question. This is a little bit of a, a closing tradition on the show. Where do you envision yourself when you're calling it a day and you're, you're putting your head down at night and you're thinking like, oh, wow, where could this be in 10 years? The thing that you're almost like too afraid to talk about or too afraid to admit to people. What, what's the vision that you have in your head? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think a lot of people want more freedom in life. A lot more people probably want to have lives that are maybe a little bit like ours. I've I have a lot of freedom. I don't need to be in the office at 9 a.m. I don't need to, you know, adjust my calendar to my boss. And, you know, I'm not saying this for everyone, but I do think that a lot of people would really enjoy, like, having one day off, having to be able to finance that one day off at least. Mm-hmm. And so my vision for our product is that we can help people like literally a million people in 10 years to create more freedom in their life, you know, to have a small business that helps supplement their income and have the possibility to go at this full time. And I think like this has been going on for years already, but like the creator economy, like people creating things, selling that to their peers, I think that's a great way to, you know, build a business and enjoy your life doing what you want instead of doing it for your boss. And so that's what I would love to see in 10 years to help a million people get a lot more freedom in their life and sell their own thing. You said that twice, a million people. So that's what you have in your head, a million people? Yep. Yep. It's doable, man. It's, I was skeptical about the whole creator economy thing, but the more and more I see how society morphs, the more I see it almost as like a necessity. Like everybody is, everything gets more and more long tail. And so like everybody has a really specific thing. The example that I always use, which is just the first one that pops in my head is these people I see that are selling courses on mowing fucking lawns and they're creating these YouTube videos. They get like millions of views and then they're selling courses about mowing lawns. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. This dude is making so much money off a TikTok and an email course about how to cut grass. Like you can do anything. And so I think, I think the sky's the limit for you guys. I really do. A million likes on a video on how to mow a lawn. It's incredible. It's I've, I've, I've watched them as well. And so there's, there's, of course a, you there's have. there are like, you know, a million different niches. And I think there are a lot more, you know, small niches that are still, you know, waiting to get picked up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of opportunities to come. Yeah, I agree. All yeah. right, Yannick, thank you so much for your time. Of course, there's hypefury.com, right? I didn't screw that up, did I? Yep. Dot com. Dot com. Um, and then I know that you said that you don't really get too much into your own Twitter, but let's still give it a shout out. Uh, Yannick underscore Vase. Did I get your last name right? Yeah, almost like Vice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all of this will be linked in the show notes of the episode. Go to copyblogger 
to see everything that we talked about in this episode and also sign up for the newsletter because our podcast newsletter is a little bit different. We take sound bites from every episode and we put them in the written form. So if you don't have time to listen to the whole episode, you can still get all of the good stuff with one simple newsletter. Um, man, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was a joy talking to you. Good luck with your vision. And uh, you can definitely count on me to be a customer like forever, basically. I love it. So thanks again. Thanks, Tim. It was a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thank you for having me.